What up, son? It's the tale of the tapes. The fuck life. Saying. All right, season two, episode thirty-five. On today's episode, we have Keith Murray and Tame One. So let's obviously start as we do each week with my personal backgrounds and opinions of these artists featured on today's episode because, again, I want to be real. I'm a human being and I obviously do have feelings and opinions and biases and stuff like that. And I don't mind openly discussing any of these things. I just would never argue with someone about their opinion. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Mine may be different from yours and that's completely fine. We're both entitled to ours. But this show is about removing the bias, removing the nostalgia, removing the opinions, etc. And just focusing on the facts and technical aspects of each artist and their catalog. I say that because it's nice to be able to just freely give my opinion on someone and not have to defend it. So I do like to do a bit of that at the start of each show where I get to just say what my personal background and experience with each artist is what my opinion on each artist is and then after i give that we can step away from all of that and talk about the technical aspects of of each artist um keith murray is somebody that i was never really particularly into but i didn't dislike him either never had any keith murray albums or anything like that but i've known Redman personally for over 20 years now and I definitely did have some Def Squad material and stuff like that. So I certainly knew of Keith Murray and some of his music, but not all that much of an opinion on him prior to this, to be honest with you. Um, Tame One's name I had heard through my own ventures through the underground circuits. And because he's actually worked with some of the artists that I have, and he's even done a collaboration album with a couple of them as well. So... I don't know Tame One personally. I never met him. I never worked with him. But I do have connections to him. And to be honest with you, I had never heard a Tame One song prior to doing this study. So as far as my opinions on him, he was a totally blank slate for me. But I did know the name and I, I have worked with some of the artists that he has worked with. So like I said, a little bit of a connection, but not really any opinion from me on him as I didn't really hear any of his material, I just knew of him. So, now let's dive into some facts and background info on these two. Both of these artists today were out in 1994 again, but Keith Murray was out first, so we'll start with Keith Murray. His birth name is Keith Omar Murray, born May 29, 1974 in Long Island, New York, United States. His genres are listed as hip-hop, and his years active are listed as 1993 to present. So let's read up on a little bit of a background on Keith Murray. Keith Omar Murray, born May 29, 1974, is an American rapper from Long Island, New York. Murray grew up on Carlton Ave in Central Islip, which is located on the south shore of Long Island in Suffolk County. Murray was a known member of a local rap collective in Long Island called Legion of Doom, or LOD, which included fellow rappers 50 Grand, Ran J, and Kel Vicious. 
Murray is more famously known for being a member of the hip-hop trio The Def Squad, which includes fellow rappers Redman and fellow Long Island native Eric Sermon, previously the co-founder of the legendary hip-hop group EPMD from neighboring town Brentwood. Murray debuted his spaced-out, complex, multi-syllabic rhyming style on Eric Sermon's ruggedly produced song Hostel off of his first solo album No Pressure, which was released in 1993 and was Sermon's first project since splitting up with former rhyming partner Parrish Smith. In 1994, Jive Records released Murray's debut single, The Most Beautifulest Thing in This World, which was quickly followed up by his debut album of the same name, released to both critical acclaim and commercial success. Alongside his solo work, Murray is known for his association with the Def Squad, with whom he has released an album, El Nino, in 1998. So, some info there on Keith Murray's background and stuff, but... Nothing too crazy, and as usual, this for the most part reiterated what I said in the beginning about Keith Murray. I knew of him through Def Squad, but not much else of him. And that's kind of similar to what you hear in his background here. I mean, a couple little things with, you know, the Legion of Doom group that he was with prior, and uh, him growing up on Long Island and being friends with Eric Sermon, but... I mean, other than that, the main things that you see in there are just his debut album and working with Def Squad, which had Eric Sermon and Redman in it, and goes on to tell you that they released one album in 1998. So, let's get into my notes on Keith Murray that I jotted down while listening to him. Growing up, for me personally, it was a little difficult to differentiate Keith Murray from Eric Sermon. Going back and analyzing them now, I can clearly see the separation. A lot of the time, Keith's rhymes were random and didn't have much to do with one another, and he was a bit inconsistent with his bars, but he did definitely show the ability to body a verse sometimes. He didn't have an abundance of topical or conceptual songs, but when he did, he showed the ability to keep the topic throughout. He was also very good at making it seem like he was rhyming a lot of syllables by using big words, but if you were paying attention, they weren't multisyllabic rhymes, just all the words had the same last syllable. Overall, though, Murray was able to finish just above average lyrically. The Fanta Leaf Chief was able to qualify five albums, two mixtapes, two collaboration albums, and one collaboration EP. All ten of them were good, showing super solid consistency throughout his 25 years in the game. Although only two of his 112 songs were great, another 16 were good and not a single one was weak. The impact category hurt Keith a bit as he certainly wasn't a household name in the mainstream or the underground. I also couldn't really find any clear direct impacts he had on any other hip-hop artists either. Keith Murray may not have been the most original artist ever overall, but you certainly knew it was him when he came on a track. His rhyme style was clever and he had a unique and funky way of delivering them. Although it was a bit of an illusion because it didn't take much actual skill, Keith would a lot of times make up his own versions of words, which was super original and took a lot of artistic ability. So, just really quickly, because it's the last thing that I said, so before I jump off of that, um, we heard in the background that I read up on Keith Murray the name of his debut album and his first single, The Most Beautifulest Thing in This World. So that's a perfect example of what I was talking about right there, where he would kind of make up his own words. Now... Again, it's a double-edged sword because when you're just making up your own words, 
it's probably not very difficult for you to get words to rhyme because you can just make up whatever word you want and make it rhyme with whatever word you're using that might be difficult to find a rhyme to rhyme with it. But if you can make up a word, then it's not going to be difficult to find anything to rhyme with it. So it wasn't something that he constantly did. It's not like all of his bars had these random words that didn't make any sense in them. And they made sense. You can understand what he's saying by saying the most beautifulest thing in this world. It's just that beautiful this is not an actual real word so this is just something that keith murray did a lot and i just want to point out how it might not add to his lyric score at all because again it's not a difficult thing to do but it is something different it is something unique it is something original so it does add to his originality score so let's get into the math for keith murray and talk a little bit about each subject and see how he scored lyrics he gets a five and a half like i spoke about he was just above average um a little bit of inconsistency there for Keith Murray and not always bar A having anything to do with bar B and stuff like that. A lot of his rhymes did get random from time to time and stuff, but pretty decent ability to keep a topic when the song called for it. Um, you know, he did have some dope lines. He did have some verses here and there where the verse ended and you were like, damn, okay, he killed that. So, um, you know, while it wasn't anything super impressive, I did think that he did just enough to be considered slightly above average lyrically, so he gets a five and a half there. Albums, he gets a 3.96 with zero classics, and uh, we spoke about that. There was really nothing too crazy there from Keith Murray. No great albums, no classic albums, no borderline classics, but every single one of his albums and EPs was good. Uh, not a single average one, so that came out to 3.96. Songs, he gets a plus 0.18, which is obviously a very small number, just under a fifth of a point. Very small number, but he is getting a plus. We do see people getting minus 0.08, minus 0.18, and I speak all the time, yes, it's a very, very low number, and it's going to very, very minimally affect their score, but they could be getting points in this department, and they're losing them. So, at least Keith Murray on the plus side of things there. Not a single weak song out of 112 songs, and although only two of them were great, you know, he still gets a plus in that department because of no weak songs. And another 16 good songs, which doesn't really have anything to do with the actual song score, but obviously factored into that pretty decent album score where he didn't have any great or classic albums and nothing like that, but was able to stay above average with every album. And that did have a lot to do with him having 16 good songs you know, only throughout a 10 album career. So you're looking at almost two good songs on each album there, which on principle, if he doesn't have any weak songs, is going to carry them all to good albums anyway. So you can see where that song and that album score came from for sure. Impact, he gets a five and a half. And this was kind of a combination of, of a couple of things. I mean, yes, you have to keep in mind that while Keith Murray didn't do anything crazy, no platinum records, no diamond sales, no major uh hit singles um so you know no real major mainstream success or anything like that not a household name no real awards won no record set and stuff like that so i mean right there off the bat you're looking at average at best right and then you take into consideration okay well he was in a group you know def squad with with eric sermon and Redman, but at the same time you also have to ask yourself where did that group go? I'm not trying to shit on them, but they were never a Wu-Tang or a Lox or a Dipset where they took off and went crazy and were a very well-known group. I believe only the one album in total by the group. So, 
you know, while it may be something that might be slightly above average, it's barely slightly above average if it even is. And then, like I said, you have to factor in the other things that I just went over. And you also have to keep in mind that there were no real clear visible impacts on any other artists. I didn't really hear anybody sample Keith Murray yet. Um, I didn't really hear anybody take any lines or beats or anything like that from Keith Murray. So all these things taken into consideration and he does fall just below average for the impact score. He gets a four and a half there. And then originality, he gets a seven. Like I said, nothing too ridiculous about Keith Murray as far as originality is concerned. No real insane crazy song topics. Um, you know, his image was not completely out of left field or anything like that, but also didn't really follow any trends, made his own kind of music, had his own delivery and rhyme style. Like I said, he would make up his own words sometimes in songs and things like that. So he gets a seven. That's a really solid score for originality. And then you add all those five numbers up and you divide by five and that gives you a final rating of 4.23 which leaves Keith Murray tied for 100th place of 182 artists done overall. So, not a great finish for Keith Murray, just behind the halfway mark, but a pretty decent finish considering the relatively low impact score. And I do want to talk about another insane thing that has happened here on this podcast again real quick. So, you heard in Keith Murray's background when we read up on some stuff about him, you heard that he was in a group with Eric Sermon, and I keep telling you guys how many insane coincidences, if that's what you want to call them, have occurred on this show. You know, we had LL Cool J and Cool Modi having a huge public feud, and then ended up sharing the same episode here. Tupac and Biggie just recently finishing in a dead tie with each other, even though almost every single one of their scores were different. Um, there were a couple of other things that I'm probably not remembering off the top of my head, but there have definitely been plenty that have happened in the show where you're like, you gotta be kidding me. This is crazy. Like, this has gotta be a joke. This can't be real that this added up like this. And it, it kind of, it's one of those things where it's like, are you sure you were being, being honest and being fair, bro? You didn't want to cop out and just make these two tied. It's not what you did here. And it's like, Man, these guys got such different scores in every department that I couldn't have even figured out that math in my head if I tried. Um, so today, Keith Murray actually ends up in a dead tie with Eric Sermon. So I was just talking about earlier how I couldn't tell the two of them apart when I was younger. Not that I was a giant fan of either one of them, but it's just odd to say like I couldn't tell these two guys apart now 25 years later, here I am studying these guys, and they finish in a dead fucking tie with each other. So, crazy, crazy stuff. They're the only two people tied for 100th place right now. And again, I want to be clear. I listened to these guys at separate times. They weren't listened to in the same time period. Eric Sermon was out in the 80s, and we covered him a while ago. They had completely different scores in probably every single category, you know, among other things. But again... We get this insanely ironic finish with these two guys again, man. And I love seeing shit like this. This is this shit right here is part of the reason why I do this. For this exact shit right here. So, crazy to see. But shoutouts to Keith Murray and the whole Def Squad, man, for sure. And now, moving on to Tame One. So, his birth name is Raheem Brown, also known as Tamer Dizzle. Born March 20th, 1970. Origins listed as Newark, New Jersey. Genres are listed as hip-hop. 
and his years active are listed as 1988 to present. So let's get you up on a little bit of background info on Tame 1 here. Raheem Brown, born March 20th, 1970, better known by his stage name Tame 1, is an American hip-hop recording artist from New Jersey. He is the founding member of duos such as The Artifacts and Leak Bros, as well as the hip-hop supergroup The Weathermen. Tame 1, along with Jay Burns J, are founder and co-founder of the super hip-hop group The Boom Squad since 1992, of which Tame 1 is president. He appointed Jay Burns J as vice president of The Boom Squad. So, again, like I spoke about earlier, I'm sure for those of you who are not very familiar with underground hip-hop, not only might you not know who Tame One is, but you might not recognize any of the associated acts named to shed light on the subject. So, not too much learned there about Tame One, but let's get into my breakdown on him and speak on him technically as a rapper. I had heard both the names Tame One and the group Artifacts, but never heard anything from either before this. Lyrically, he was all over the place. Early on with the group, most rhymes were random just to rhyme words, and he used a lot of one-syllable rhymes per bar. While he definitely showed dramatic improvements on his early solo stuff, he still remained pretty inconsistent from bar to bar throughout his career. He would have a dope line, followed by something that doesn't rhyme or reach for a punch. He was very abstract and great with using different and unique rhyme schemes, but also took a lot of shortcuts or didn't rhyme at times. He showed the ability to tell a story, but for the most part, most songs were about the same nothings and he lacked substance often. He also recycled lines a lot, but overall finished well above average lyrically. Tame qualified two albums with Artifacts, one collaboration album with Del the Funky Homo Sapien, and another nine solo projects. He really shined in this department as eight of those 12 albums were good and the other four were great. Of his 138 songs, two were great, but two were also weak, with another 58 being good songs for another solid effort. Tame never had any real mainstream success and was more of an underground artist, mainly by choice of style, I believe. He did, however, have influences on artists such as Tupac, Big L, The Game, and a few others. Tamer Dizzle was extremely original when it came to his sound, rhyme style, choice of words, delivery, etc., but he did borrow and sample a lot, particularly from MC Shan, Biggie, and ODB. So a lot of different things on both sides of the fence there for Tame One, so let's get in on the math here and see how it all added up from. Lyrics, he gets a six and a half, and I do want to touch on that for a second because it did sound like more negative than positive in that breakdown, but that was really just speaking on his inconsistency. So early on, a lot of rhymes per bar, but most of them one syllable. Then it kind of changed. He had, you know, big improvements, um, got better with the multisyllabic rhymes. He definitely had a lot of dope lines and stuff like that. He also just had a lot of times where he just didn't rhyme or it would be, you know, a dope line and then it would be something that didn't rhyme or reach for a punchline or something like that. But overall, the good did outweigh the bad. There were a lot of dope lines. Um, he did some really dope stuff with not only different rhyme schemes, but unique rhyme schemes that I hadn't heard other people necessarily do up until that point. So he did do some really good stuff. So 
a well above average score there lyrically for team one, even though there were, I don't want to say some inconsistencies. There are a lot of inconsistencies. So if team one didn't have those inconsistencies, we probably would have really had a great lyricist here for sure. Cause you know, he did have some really dope stuff in there. It was just the inconsistencies kind of brought him back down to a six and a half. Albums, he gets a 4.84 with zero classics. And although he had zero classics, that is a significantly higher score than Keith Murray's score of 3.96. And again, this is not to compare these guys, but it's not as simple when you hear the album score to just know right away. Like we know five is in the middle between one and 10. So it's six and a half. All right, you know, whatever, five and a half. Okay, that's just around average. But it's not as, as simple with the album score because 5 is not an average album score. An average album score really is actually 3.3 because an average album would be 1.0 and it would be, you know, we're doing everything by 10. So the highest you could get would be a 3, but we're trying to make everything out of 10. So you multiply the album score by 3.3. So if it was a 1 times 3.3, your album score would be 3.3. That's more of an average album score. So 4.84 certainly very well above average there for sure. Like we spoke about 12 albums, I believe it was uh, eight of them good. The other four great. So, I mean, out of these two guys together here, I believe that's 22 albums and not a single even average album between the 22 albums between these two guys. So that's pretty impressive stuff there for sure. Uh, good at worst for both of these guys. Songs, Tame One gets a zero. Same amount of great songs as Keith Murray. Um, he actually had a little bit higher of a total number of songs. So had Tame One not had any weak songs, he probably would have got a little bit less of a plus than Keith Murray because of the total number of songs overall. But Tame One also had two weak songs in there. So no matter what the total number is, regardless, those twos are both going to cancel each other out and he's going to get a zero in the songs category. Impact, he gets a four and a half, which is the same number as Keith Murray. And I, I want to talk about that for a, for a second, too, because this is another example of two guys getting the same score and it being gotten in a completely, completely different way in, in almost opposite fashions, if you will. Um, Keith Murray, a little bit uh, more of a push for mainstream success for Keith Murray. Um, you know, in, in a, a group with Eric Sermon and Redman, who both did have a very decent amount of commercial success and mainstream success. So being in that group with them, you know, you're not underground to the point of someone like a tame one, you know, you may have started with your underground group legion of doom or whatever the case is. And, you know, Keith Murray might be a little bit more focused on lyrics than your average person who's really trying to be mainstream is. So I'm not trying to shit on Keith Murray and say that Keith Murray ever sold out or was just doing corny shit to try to get on the radio because that's certainly not the case. But you can tell that Keith Murray was up against that door of mainstream success and knocking on it a little bit more than Tame One was. Tame One seems to have been a little bit more intentionally underground and a little bit less known in the mainstream, like I said, intentionally. But Tame One, ironically enough, actually having a little bit more material, both albums and songs in total than Keith Murray. And also, even though Keith Murray probably technically had a little bit more commercial success than Tame One did, Tame One actually has more names listed as far as people that he influenced, whether it was somebody that took a line from him 
or a beat from him or sampled him in a song or whatever the case was, there were definitely some people there that Tame One had under his belt, whereas Keith Murray, there weren't any clear direct ones that I could sit here and name. And not only does Tame One have some, it's not a lot of people, but as opposed to zero for Keith Murray, and it is names like Tupac, Big L, The Game, and a couple other people. So, I mean, it's not like I'm naming a handful of local artists that Tame One influenced, and it's like, all right, bro, well, Keith Murray probably did that too, and you're just not hearing those local artists, so you don't know about it. No, these are these are pretty big and significant names. So, like I said, there's not a lot of them, but they are there. So, kind of an opposite fashion with how Tame One got to that four and a half as opposed to how Keith Murray got to that four and a half. But nonetheless, both just below average there as far as impact is concerned. And originality, Tame One gets an eight and a half. That's obviously a great score. Again, the seven is also a solid score for Keith Murray, but that eight and a half, a really solid score. And, you know, that kind of came from everything that Tame One did. In general, Tame One was overall just a more unique and original individual than... Keith Murray was. Now, I want to go out of my way to point out that had Tame One not borrowed so much stuff and sampled so much stuff from other people, particularly Shan, Biggie, and ODB, that score probably would have been closer to a nine, a nine and a half. So again, kind of opposite how they got to these numbers. You know, you got Tame One who was up super high as far as originality with pretty much everything. And that was kind of pulled down a little bit from the fact that he borrowed and sampled a lot from a, you know, a decent amount of people. And Keith Murray, again, quite the opposite. There wasn't anything overly original, unique, or standout about Keith Murray, but not a follower, didn't follow any trends, didn't sell out any of his music. So had his own stance on originality and then kind of had his little things that carried him up like his voice and delivery and making up his own silly words and stuff like that, which kind of carried him up to a seven. So again, these guys, while the scores might not necessarily be the same, the impact score is, but the other one's different. Just the way that these guys even got to their scores was completely different. So interesting to see that, you know, pinned against each other. And then you add all those five numbers up and you get a final rating of 4.87, which leaves Tame One tied for 50th place of 182 artists done overall. So not a tremendous finish, but not a bad one there for Tame One as he's just about in the top quarter and not for nothing, but for an underground dude with an impact score of four and a half, that's a pretty damn impressive finish. A solid lyric and originality score, good albums, coupled with the fact that he doesn't wind up losing any points in the songs category, and just like that, he's just outside of our top quarter overall. So let this kind of be an opposite example as most of the people that we've been covering lately. Scores in certain categories like these are why people who get these four and a halfs and fives in every category are falling so far down to the bottom now because people are starting to emerge that while they may not finish way up high or be registering classic albums, they bring something very solid to the table, whether it's lyrics or originality, etc. They make up for whatever departments they may lack in in one way or another. So shout out to Tame One, man. That's one hell of a job there. I mean, you can see, you know, Impact 4.5 with a lot of the people we've been seeing lately, lyrics, they would get a 5, he gets a 6.5. 
You know, albums would be closer to an average score. He gets a 4.84. Songs, he doesn't lose any points. Originality, he gets an 8.5. So, you know, where it's not 4.5, 5, 5.5, 5, 4.5, shit like that. That, I'm sorry, but that's just going to get you near the bottom now. That's just what the math is. Because now we're getting these other guys that, yeah, they're getting four and a halfs in some categories. They're getting zeros in some categories. But in the other one, they're getting six and a half, eight and a half, stuff like that. So they're making up for it. You know, only a half a point behind average, but then a point and a half or three and a half points in front of average. So again, it's that give and take. Yes, it's going to be very difficult to finish up very high with no classic albums or with an impact score of four and a half or any score that's below average for sure. But you can still carry yourself to a decent finish if you were very good or great in some other areas. So, you know, I point out how people are getting average scores and finishing low. Now, I want to point out how some people that are not getting great scores in certain departments are still having some decent finishes there. So... Now let's get into our list, and we do have some changes and or additions to at least one of these today. So right now, we're still in 1994. Next week, we're actually moving to 1995, so today we're going to stick with our top 15% overall. And unfortunately, after last week's amazing performance by Biggie, we don't have any changes to this list today. So... In our top spot, we have Nas, who's in 5th place of 182 artists done overall. Behind him, we have Black Thought of The Roots, who's in 10th. Behind Black Thought, we have a tie with Tupac and Biggie, who are in a 3-way tie for 11th place. Behind them in 15th. Behind them, tied for 15th, we have Pharaoh Monch. Behind Pharaoh, we have KRS-One, who's in 18th place. Behind him in 22nd is Jizza, and a couple of slots back from Jizza is Slick Rick, who's in 24th. A couple of slots back from Slick Rick in 26th is Rakim, and directly behind Rakim is Redman, who's in 27th. Directly behind Red in 28th is Common, and a couple of slots back from Common is MF Doom, who's in 30th. A couple of slots back from Doom in 32nd is Rev Run of Run DMC. And directly behind him is LL Cool J, who's in 33rd. Couple of slots back from LL in 35th is Will Smith. And directly behind Will is Crazy Bone of Bone Thugs and Harmony, who's in 36th. Directly behind him in 37th is Lazy Bone of Bone Thugs and Harmony. Directly behind Lazy is Sticky Fingers of Onyx, who's tied for 38th place. And a couple of slots back from him. We have a tie between DMC of Run DMC and Ice Cube of NWA, who are both tied for 40th place of 182 artists done overall. So now on to our current top 10% lyrically overall. In a three-way tie for our top spot, we have Pharaoh Monch, Black Thought of the Roots, and Nas, who all have lyrical scores of 8.5. Behind them, we have another three-way tie for fourth place between Master Ace, Jizza, and Common, who all got lyrical scores of seven and a half. And then behind them, we have another tie for seventh place between KRS-One and Lord Finesse, who both got lyrical scores of seven. Behind them, we now have a ten-way tie for ninth place between Will Smith, Rakim, Cool G Rap, Everlast, Tupac, Redman, Sticky Fingers of Onyx, 
Lazy Bone of Bone Thugs and Harmony, Biggie, and Tame won. So while Tame wasn't able to crack the top 15% overall list, he does crack the top 10% lyrically, at least so far. So again, big shout outs to Tame One, man. No slouch at all. Now let's get into our particular decades list, starting with our top five rappers to make their debut in the 1980s, which are KRS-One, Slick Rick, Rakim, Rev Run of Run DMC, and LL Cool J. As usual, no changes to that list. Wouldn't expect any anytime soon. Now for your top five artists to make their debut in the 90s so far. In our top spot, we have Nas. Behind him, Black Thought of The Roots. Behind him, a tie between Tupac and Biggie. And then in our fifth and final spot, we have Pharaoh Manch. So no changes to this list today either, which is again a testament to this list. Tame one able to crack that lyrical list, and deservedly so, but again... No one able to crack this top five of the 90s so far. Now let's get into our new list that we started this session of our top three artists from each region of the country. So we'll start off on our East Coast. Your top rapper to come out of the East Coast thus far is Nas from Queens, New York. Behind him, we have Black Thought of The Roots from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And behind him, the Notorious B.I.G. from Brooklyn, New York. Moving across to our West Coast, your top rapper to come out of the West Coast thus far is Tupac from Marin County, California. Behind him is Ice Cube of NWA from Los Angeles, California. And behind him is Everlast, also from Los Angeles, California. Moving down south, your top rapper to come out of the south thus far is Andre 3000 of Outkast from Atlanta, Georgia. Behind him, Big Boy, also of Outkast and also from Atlanta, Georgia. And in our third and final spot, Scarface of the Ghetto Boys from Houston, Texas. Moving over to our Midwest, your top rapper to come out of the Midwest thus far is Common from Chicago, Illinois. Behind him is Crazy Bone of Bone Thugs and Harmony from Cleveland, Ohio. And in our third and final spot in the Midwest is Lazy Bone, also from Bone Thugs and Harmony, and also from Cleveland, Ohio. So no changes to that one today as well. And listen, it's not going to be every episode that someone cracks one of these lists, but we did get Tame One in one of them here today. And again, let it just be a reminder of how rare it is to have the finishes from people like Biggie that Biggie had last week where they just essentially dominate almost every list. So shout outs to both of these guys today, man, and all these names still hanging on strong to any one of any of these spots in any of these lists. If you'd like to see any of the lists in full, you can give the Facebook website a visit at www.facebook.com slash Podcast. You can also give the host website a visit at www.anchor.fm slash tale of the tapes. Both of those links spell completely normally. On the host site, you'll see a support button. Please hit that if you're feeling generous. And that's going to do it for episode 35 today. Next week, we will be covering Method Man and Smith & Wesson, a.k.a. the Cocoa Brothers. And I promise you, this is an episode that you do not want to miss. Tale of the tapes. Peace. Tale of the tapes. Might as well.